Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply with all that being said let's start the podcast episode Hello and welcome back to the How to Get Analytics Job Podcast. In this episode, we are interviewing Ali, who is from the YouTube channel Analyze with Ali. He's calling all the way in from Oslo, Norway. We're going to be talking about analytics portfolios. This is essentially a continuation of last week's episode, where we talked with Michael Galarnik about his approach to analytics portfolios, and he reviewed two of our marketing analytics case study students. In this episode, we're going to review one of our survey analytics case study students. Then Ali is going to show us his portfolio website. So what you're going to see is a glimpse of essentially a starter analytics project. Then you're going to get a peek at once you become really, really sophisticated, building out an entire website that shows off the work that you can do. So this falls within personal branding and personal branding. I feel like we're trying to hammer this into your heads is a great strategy in helping you land your next analytics job. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast episode. Hello and welcome back, everybody. So Ali, how's it how's it going? It's Come good, man. From Europe. Yeah, all the way from Norway. Um, you know, it's barely barely 6 p.m. Finished up at work and I get to do this. So that's also pretty wow. cool. So, well, I appreciate you spending your, your Friday evening with us. This is awesome. So I wanted to start off the kind of the episode with, I've been watching a bunch of your YouTube videos here lately. And I know, so you're in a hiring position. I, it's funny because I, when I first thought you were just an analyst, but like y- your advice is grounded in what you're seeing behind the scenes, which I think is, is awesome. So you're getting like essentially a behind this, the, the curtain view of the hiring process. Yeah, no, that, that definitely. So I, you know, I've kind of transitioned from being a lot more hands-on, and, and I'm still quite um, hands-on, but I still have to keep that managerial point of view, that overview. Um, so you know, I look at the people who work more data-driven, and I also think about you know how can we put this into the right context? How does this align with business processes? So you know, whenever I'm looking for someone, um, whenever uh, you know I'm thinking about data analyst portfolios, that is something that reflects that. Um, so a lot of my material is, um, you know, some parts of it is me showing stuff hands-on, but I also try to think about those, maybe a little bit further down the things that you would think about, just to expose you to those those ideas. Um, so yeah, definitely. Okay, so what's interesting is I'm, I'm creating a course for LinkedIn. I'm about to fly out there on Monday, actually, to go to, to California to record this. I just did a lecture on the three steps of the hiring process. And I, I went and watched your video. I was like, oh, wait, did I get them in the right order? And I, I did. So what what are the three steps of the, the analytics hiring process? And where does the uh, analytics portfolio plug into the whole the whole scheme? And I think, you know, I think that's, that's actually a really good question because one of the points with the portfolio is to showcase your skill sets. Now, hmm. if, you know, depending on the size of the company, depending on what kind of resources they have, to, to find the right candidate, it depends where the portfolio applies. Because let's say that you have someone who is an external person, doesn't really know that much about data analysis, doesn't know that much about data analytics, and they want to get an impression of you, then the portfolio might just be like a first impression thing. 
then you might come to uh, an internal HR person who has a little bit more business context, still not a technical person. So we're still looking at you from the perspective of getting to know you. But, um, you, you know, they might know a little bit more what they're looking for. And then we might get to the technical interview where someone is looking at it with a total different point of view. They're looking at, okay, what are the technical aspects and how are they managing the technical aspects with the, with the, with the business purposes? And then, you know, we, we actually run quite a few rounds. So if you get to the last point, then it might also be a foundation for presenting someone to show that if you were to be challenged to get up, present your findings and try and teach a crowd, which might not be that data driven, can you give that presentation? So the portfolio yeah. can play in a lot of different places, um, which is why it's very important how you create your portfolio. Um, right. Well, see, it's, what's interesting is, so the way that we're structuring, I, I'm, I'm creating a, a business analytics certification program for Greensboro College right now, and we're breaking it into four modules. The first is business acumen, which I think people skip that part. And I started with that first so that you understand, because essentially I swim in the kiddie pool when it comes to like analytics hard skills. Like I know Excel, I know Power BI and Tableau, and I can like copy and paste someone else's SQL code and make it work for, you know, if I'm building out some type of, I don't know, um, if then statement within, you know, uh, Power BI or Tableau or something like that. Yeah. Um, then we go into the hard skills. Then the third point is personal branding. And the final point is interviewing soft skills. So, yeah, I think that people totally overestimate the, the value of the hard skills. So it's kind of like, I would say it's a secondary thing. Like you need to, the core thing that, that you're looking for is an interview. And correct me if I'm wrong, push back, yeah. is that, if I hire them, are they? Am I going to get a good return on investment for this asset for our business? Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I like, the way I like to think about it is, I'm not looking for a extremely technical person, and I want to teach them business. I'm looking for someone who is interested in the business but has the technical tools. Because, you know, I, I like to say that there will always be someone out there who's better at you at SQL. There will always be right. someone out. There who knows more Power BI than you, more Tableau than you. But there are only there's only going to be a certain few in that company or in that context which you're working, which will know those technical skill sets and understand the business. And that is where, you know, I like to say that you go from being someone who is sort of a, a, a you know a technical asset to more of an enabler of what is possible by using data really well aligned with business. And I think right. that's something that's it, it's, I think people forget about it a lot of times. And I also think, a lot, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think a lot of the, the learning resources out there also ignore it because it's so easy to get a problem and just jump in with, let's, let's say, the technical mind of your brain because you want to solve it. You think this is fun. You think this is cool. You want to hack away at it. You've got to take a step back and understand what am I trying to solve. Right. You know what I think it is? I think it's a uh, self-soothing like exercise. Where it's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to start. And then I think that is, at, as I've gotten kind of matured a little bit in my career, the, 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 the value and the place of judgment has gotten much bigger. So like now I have leverage. And so if I make a bad decision, that goes out a hundredfold versus when I was first starting my career, you know, it was just a little bit of um, just, just a small mistake. But now it's like these, these, these mistakes hurt a lot more. And as you get up into, you know, corporate hierarchy, I think the same thing applies. No, definitely. And that's, you know, that's where it becomes more and more important to understand 
you know, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What is the context? Because, you know, you're going to spend people's time. You're going to ask them a lot of questions. There are expectations. And then there's just the general hype and knowledge of, you know, data is the new oil and all this stuff. So they're, you know, they want to mm-hmm. see you do a lot of cool stuff. And especially, you know, if you can do one cool thing, then, you know, people are going to catch on. They're going to be like, this person can automate. He can visualize. He, he can, he can, he can help us save some time. And that's where, you know, the snowball starts to roll. That's when you got True. to know how to navigate. Right. Well, I feel bad. We've been neglecting our chat, which we just added Twitch and Facebook. Um, oh, so I, I was worried that it was like messing up the chat log. So we've got uh, Shruti. Hello. Welcome. I'm excited too. <laughs> and then Tim. So Tim is a, one of our collaborators. He runs uh, this local organization called Code for Greensboro. And we're... Actually, I'm going to plug Tim because I know Tim is going to be working with my intern later today. Um, they're going to be analyzing um, civic data. So f- specifically fire, um, I think it was like fire department instances within Greensboro, North Carolina. So we're wow. having a week, a weekly challenge like that. Uh, but so what did Tim say? In my time at the Center for Creative Leadership, mm-hmm. I've definitely seen this play out. Organizations can end up spending a ton of money in soft skills development when they hire more for hard skills. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I feel like what's cool about portfolios to kind of, you know, get back on the, the topic here is that I think a good portfolio is a mixture of both soft and hard skills or, or you can at least use it as a conduit to show off both of those. Yeah. And you can definitely you can you can make yourself stand out um, in a totally different way, um, because a lot of companies these days are looking for data-driven people. They're getting a lot of applications with SQL, with Tableau, with Power BI, um, with a lot of these kind of skills. And that's that's when they're you know there's you know the person is also really important because you are an enabler. You might not think you are, but you are at the end of the day. You are going right. to enable data-driven, the data-driven mindset and the culture at the company in, in a way you probably don't even perceive before you're before you're in this in the position. Awesome. So we got another chat here. So. You, is this one of your fans? So Lalit Yadav? I don't know how. I, I butcher names all the time. It's, it's terrible. So what is the next phase of someone who has already gained sufficient data analysis experience and wants something more? Um, that's kind of a vague question. Where, where, where do you want to take that? that I mean, it, it depends. You know, when you say sufficient data analysis experience, you know, first of all, I'm thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean that you felt like you've done this and you want to move on to, on to something else? And of course, it could be you might want to go into something more managerial. Maybe you want to go into a team lead role. Um, mm-hmm. Or is it more that I've learned a certain amount of data analysis at this level? And you, you might want to go into other types of role like data science. It, I mean, it, it, yeah, it is a bit vague. But it can, mean, okay. it, it can mean a lot of different things. Here, here's my take on it. I think what he's saying is that, all right, I have my entry-level data analysis chops. How do I move up into senior or even management management role? And I think that, if, okay, if, if you've got that data analysis skill set, start learning about how to drive strategy and how to get a better return on investment. So like yeah. learning about how the business functions, how to deploy assets, how to make better decisions. Because I think that, you know, early on, see, because I've got such an unorthodox career path. So I got my MBA with concentration analytics, immediately started my own independent consulting agency, which is totally not wise. And it was like, not what I should have done. But I noticed with my earlier, early clients, um, they didn't tell me why I was doing the analysis. 
they would give me the data and said, Hey, build this out, build this out. And then as I got more sophisticated, I would, like you said, I would stop and say, all right, what's the objective here? What, what is the game, so to speak, that we're playing? So then I could use my expertise to proactively solve their problem as opposed to just being an order taker. Yeah. Like, so my, my own journey, I actually started on sales and then I went into technical sales and eventually I, I went. Oh, me too. Well, I sold yeah. insurance though, not technical sales. Door to door insurance sales was terrible. Yeah. But that's still a good way to expose yourself. So when you actually have to go out there and, and push back, you've definitely been in those situations. Um, Looks like we got we we got his his question answered. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna you know kind of jump on the same answer. When are you starting to question the needs you are getting? Because that is when you are starting to kind of show that I understand what you're doing. Let me see if mm-hmm. I can help you out. Can I understand this in a different way? Do I see something you don't see? And can I maybe do this a different way? And then I would say when you get to higher levels of management, you have to do the same thing, but you have to deal with maybe stakeholders that are stronger personalities. Right. You can make them trust that, okay, you guys want the report like this, but trust me on this one. If we do this for one month, I'm going to give you guys a product which aligns better with this process, and we're going to make some incremental improvements. Those are a lot harder discussions, but mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if, you, if you trust it and you understand the process really well and you can deliver on it, then, of course, you know, that, that pays off dividends all, all across all right, I'm going to piggyback off that. So for two years, I was a board member for a local nonprofit. Okay. So if you want to build up that exercise skill of being like an advisor, because that's essentially what you're going from. You're going from being an entry level order taker of um, here, build out these three, these three types of visualizations. And then the management's going to take a look at it and then tell you another list of orders to yeah. Being an advisor and proactively saying like, all right, well, here's what I've seen from my experience is that we should approach the analysis this way. And this is the best way to visualize this type of data. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we got a, we got Stoney. So Stoney was in our last um, live chat earlier this week and he stayed yeah. with us for like an hour and 45 minutes. So Stoney, welcome back. This is awesome. So he's saying, I learned a lot from Daniel Egger's online Coursera business analytics sequence through at Duke. Um through the case studies. So I think case studies are a much more sophisticated way of learning. And that's, that's how I teach my classes. Actually, it's all application based. So like what we're going to get into, we talked about this off air is that I'm going to throw some of my survey data at you and I'm going to test you and we're going to do like a little mock interview. Um, So, all right. And we also got our role saying I learned all relevant skills, Python, SQL, Tableau, Power BI Mm -hmm. for an entry level data analytics job. But the companies need someone with two to three years of work experience. This is a good question. And this, yeah. we've, we've made videos on this. So as a hiring manager, what are your thoughts on the – what? It, it's usually, what, three to five years for entry level? <laughs> it's like the chicken or the egg. Like, which one comes first? How do you get the experience? Yeah, it's not, okay, so it's actually not the company I was before, but the company before that. Um, mm-hmm. we, we would go to universities, and we would hire directly at a university. And it was entry-level people. And, you know, I see this, and I think, once again, this is where, you know, your soft skills can play in. You know, if if you come to a company and they say you have to have three years of experience and you don't have that, and that's a binary yes or no, then it's going to be a no. But if you can showcase, and this is where a little bit with the portfolio, a little bit with uh, the soft skills, if you can showcase 
that part, then you might actually, you know, showcase to someone. Yeah, you, you can get someone who's been doing SQL for two years. But if you get me, you know, I'm a dedicated person. I'm willing to make this portfolio and I can help you guys. You know, I can be someone who can present it well, who's willing to present it, who's willing to in, engage with people. Because I think one of the things that a lot of people out there don't get exposed to that much is how important is adoption. And that is to actually get people to use it. And that is, that is where culture comes in. So you can play on that also. but Also sales skills. Yes, of course. We have, have we have a cheat code because we, we did sales before analytics, you know. Honestly, like I, I started out with sales and then I went to pre-sales, which is technical sales. So my entire job for two, three years were to understand their needs and then build something really fast and sell it back to them. So what I do now, I talk to people in my company. You know, I work for a company, you know, there's seven different countries. I talk to people all the time in different countries. I understand what they're saying. I say, this is how we can solve it technically. And then I sell the business problem we're going to try and solve. If you can show that you are that person, then that is worth a lot more than someone who is really good at SQL. Mm-hmm. Because because you you only, I would say, you only need to be a certain level of sophisticated at SQL to solve 90% of the problems. Then you have those 10% that you need to Google, you need to figure out, you know, the really hard stuff. And, and the rest of that is often helping people understand. It is teaching, it is showing. It is being a enabler. Uh, right. So that is, you know, I tried to push that, but but hey, it's it's a tough market, man. There's a lot of people that wants to do this, you know. And then when, when you have some companies that says two, three years, you know, maybe it's just not the right right job for you. Maybe you need to find something smaller, get that experience, or it, it totally depends. You know, are you a student? Can you get an internship? There's 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 taking take so here. There's a follow-up to this question. So he's, he's saying that he already has experience in another domain. So I think this makes it uh, quite a bit more interesting of a question. Yes. I, I have the thought behind this. I'm curious if we have the same, the same thought process. So, and, and I get this question quite a bit on my YouTube channel. People say that, you know, I've been doing this for a couple of years. I want to transition. I've been having this role. I want to transition. And... <clears throat> I actually view that if you are someone who knows a domain very well, you actually have a huge advantage over right. a lot of people who might not know that domain, but comes in with some technical skills. Because if you can sit down, you can learn, let's say, some data data transformations, some visualization, and and you know maybe uh, and start to think about in this domain how would I apply those concepts to this domain, and then find companies with that domain and say, hey, I know this domain very well. I'm not some technical savant, but I'm learning, but I know this domain. And the stuff that I learned technically, we could apply in this way. And that's how we can improve the way we handle this domain. So domain expertise in my, with my managerial hats on somewhere here, I think that is king. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I would say, the, the, the kind of the catch, the slogan or the catchphrase would be transferable skills. So you already have an area of expertise, sprinkling in a little bit of Power BI or Tableau or Excel on top of that is so much easier than spending five years learning about marketing and how marketing functions within a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say go even deeper. I think you kind of were hinting at this. You have the power 
Potentially, I guess it depends on where you are in the organization and the culture of your organization. You could take your marketing job and make it a marketing analytics job. Absolutely. By, by starting to add in, like just start looking at your, you know, click through rates and your open rates and maybe pull into an Excel file and then start doing like, all right, th- this email had this topic, this email had this topic, which ones start, you can start doing your own analysis kind of from the ground up. And then you, cause, and that's interesting because it's not, it's permissionless. You can do that on your own. In fact, like they're going to be very impressed that you spent time and energy critically thinking about how to do your job better. Yeah, I think I spoke about this in one of my recent videos. And I said, instead of looking at it as how can I become a marketing analyst, I would try to think about it. This The, the expertise or the job that I have, how can I make it more data-driven? How can I make mm. what, I'm, what I'm doing more data-driven? Because maybe you won't get that nice title at that company, but if you can make your job more data-driven, then you are there, – there's a lot of people out there who are working – uh, in a way, which what you might call a data analyst, they're just not called a data analyst, but they're right. working data driven. So that's also a perspective that I like to throw back at people. Okay, if I told you you have this job, if you're going to make it more data driven, what are the things you would incorporate, and then you know start to make those connections. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so we got two. We got two two live chats. So Nikita or Natika, I, I feel like I messed her name up for like multiple live streams. Natika, welcome. And then also we got um, Marina here, who is a business intelligence engineer at Amazon. So she's got an interesting question. So what do you think about adding video slash sound to your portfolio project? So that is a good question. Now, Marina, let me ask you something. If you add video or sound to your portfolio project, do you think that would showcase something that you otherwise wouldn't showcase to be able to show that, you know, what it is that you're trying to solve or what it is that you're trying to do? I think video can be, it can be useful, but if you, if you sit down and you think about it from a managerial point of view, and this is just me being super honest, sometimes I have 10 minutes before an interview. I have five minutes. You know, I looked at their resume. If they have a portfolio, I want to jump through it. I want to see it. I want to get a perception of this person. Does the person have time to look at, let's say, let's say you're lucky, 25 other applications and take the time to watch your video. Hmm. So, so if, yeah, yeah. You know, if it's, you know, if it's nice and concise and you get right to the point, I think a video could be really good mm-hmm. uh, sound. I don't know. I mean, it depends what kind of sound would you add. What would it be? Yeah, I so I am kind of curious uh, what she means by adding 
video or sound. What's coming to mind is that, I mean, you and I both, we're both analysts. We analyze our own YouTube channels. We probably make videos about the date. So like what we did last semester with my students was actually two semesters ago. I had them look at my YouTube um, demographics to come up with two buyer personas. And then we talked about what is the psychology behind those two. So for example, we skew like 87% male on our channel. And then it's anywhere from 18 to probably 44. Mm-hmm. And then, so we broke the, those age, the, that wide age range into two. So 18 to 25, 25 to 44. And then we had, so the younger was the students and the second demographic was the tr- transitioners. So we were talking about the different psychology, <laughs> the different like kind of um, assets you have at play. So for example, let's think about discretionary income. How much discretionary income does an 18 year old have? Yeah. So that, so I, I but, I, and then I actually had one of my students come in and, and explain this whole thing, but I, yeah, I don't know about, I, I'm Marina. I'm kind of curious as to like what you mean by that. Yeah. If she wants to follow up on that, I wouldn't want to hear it too, because I think video can, it, it can make sense. Um, but sound, it would be maybe, maybe if you add sound where you are explaining a step, maybe that's what she means. Right. That right. Yeah, like an intro or an outro or like uh, here, are the, here are the key insights or something like that. Or, you know, as you are maybe progressing through a project that she's trying to explain to you, um, it could be, you know. All right. So yeah. we're 24 minutes into the live stream. We haven't even looked at a, at a case study yet. Right. Uh, so let's add one of these. Okay. So this is a survey analysis uh, portfolio piece that Deepak Hala, one of my first student to go through this course, uh, put out. I don't know how well you can see that. It's, it's tiny on small, to be honest. But I um, I yeah, I've got it up on my big screen here. Let me see if I can. Here we go. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's that's better. That's better. I was just trying okay. to read some details. So what this is, well, actually, I'm not even going to explain it because I think a good portfolio piece should, should function on itself. Um, mm-hmm. what, 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 is, what are you getting out of this or, or what are your first thoughts and impressions? So, yeah, we're trying to get an overview, like it says. So what, you know, what, what I like, you know, it's a survey, survey analysis case study. So I understand, right, you know, it's a survey analysis. What is the importance of the survey questions? Puts it into context. I kind of know, okay, that is what we are talking about. And then you can see they have chosen certain things that they want to uh, want to measure. You know, the colors makes it easy to understand what is the division between those. Now mm-hmm. you can see there's a label there. It's a little bit hard to see right away what that is. Actually. Which which one? The 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 bubble. But I guess it says. Oh, right this here. right here. The survey score. Yeah. So. The percentage circle is the survey score. Hovering over each segment of the Likert chart will provide a rating breakup for each survey question. Yeah. Interesting. So this is, yeah, okay. This is a, I, I'm not quite sure what this, what he means by this. By the way, so like the way that our survey co- or our case study courses work is that I give them the bone, I, I walk them through the data source, like here are the data quality issues, here's what you have to clean up, um, here's the bare bones of it. Post it on LinkedIn, tag me, and I'll give you feedback. So he went in and, and added, like, this survey score percentage was not part of the initial case study, which we did this on purpose so that everyone has a unique portfolio. And it's not like this cookie cutter, everyone has the same exact dashboard. 
which is great because that you know that brings out a little bit of the challenge and it makes you know it makes it personal and then once again if you right. want to present someone it's uh i think he's done a good job with the colors you know he's chosen colors that are easy to you know uh see the different parts um what is that? is that average the line the, the, um and and this is kind of my point you know uh what is that i think it opens so up. it's yeah it's doing something weird so what's okay what's weird is like i don't know why so the link from his post so this is what it uh, this is like the bare bones of it this is like what um I, you know i've taught this for a couple semesters now so i've packaged that up as a as a course but if we go back yeah so so he's he's like his level of like branding on this is so much better than than mine yeah he's done a great which, job with colors right so like it I, and I love seeing that because like the students are they're going above and beyond what I'm putting out in terms of like of branding. But I mean, at the same time, like my branding is I want you to see me as an educator, not as as an, an analyst per se. No, I think I mean, I think it looks it looks uh, I think it looks good. You know, I can definitely see that this is made in Tableau. There are certain things here that gives it a more a little more detail level. When I saw you had the tooltips. Um, right, right. We can go up, hover over it. Um, great. So essentially what this is showing is this is based off a case study where a marketing agency did a survey for a specific product, just surveying the consumer base of saying, all right, what's the overall rating? So it looks like the overall rating is, is much better than, uh, see, we also have like a little bit of a spelling error. The quality, the hardware quality is not quite as good as they would rate the overall product. Usability is not as strong, and then the software is the weakest. So, but I mean, this, this what is this a survey for a how can I call this a one-time uh, course, or is it a lot of different courses that have run over time? Okay, so the case study here is that we're specifically asking consumers how would you rate this widget? So it's a physical product okay. that has. It has hardware and it has software. So it's like a, for example, we could say it's a computer. Okay. I see. I, I was just curious because I usually like to see analysis of how a, maybe a percentage or something develops over time just to give it context because this gives you a, a, a how can I call this, an in-moment perspective on something. Right now, if you're looking at this, this mm -hmm. is what it looks like from this point of view. But if you look at what would you rate your what would you rate this product overall thirty five percent, you know is is you know is thirty five good or bad? Thirty five is the highest number. Okay, that means that's what ranks as as the highest. But how has it been over time? Or it could have been interesting to see how do some of these. I don't know if he goes into more details. I see there's a couple other tabs on top there. Sample size. Would you recommend this product? Um, right. So okay. Details. So, but that could have been interesting, also. What we're what we're so essentially that one one of the recommendations would be uh, give me a little bit more of an elaboration on what the survey score is, because I yeah I'm I'm trying to like estimate what that I'm I'm not quite sure what 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 that means, um, but what's interesting here and I really like the how well this is this looks polished to me. So, for example, we can select, all right, how do you, let's see, people younger than 30 think about this. Uh -huh. And then we can see, oh, they don't feel as strongly about it. 
Yeah. And then we can compare that segment to, let's see, people 50, 60, and 70. Yeah. Which they, they like it a lot. So that that's an interesting insight that we could use for, for example, product design. Yeah. Which is great. You know, you, you see that you can drill into parts of it, which, of course, is, you know, it's quite useful. You want to focus down on something. You want to understand different contexts, depending on what, you know, what point of view you're trying to, you're trying, you're trying to take here. Right. And I also wanted to point out, too, that look at this sample size. So 74 was the total amount of people surveyed. So we can see that people between there were 40 people between the age of 50 and 70. So let's see. I think so. If we were to look at 40, just people in their 40s, there's only three. So that's not I mean, well, actually, what would you what would you say as an analyst? Is three a big enough sample size? No. Right. What's also really important then is that that sample size, as you are moving around, it's important that you notice what the sample size is because those percentages up there, you know, 100%, they're getting right. quite low within a small sample size. And that is what I mean. When you are selecting between them, you're getting a, you're looking at it right there in that point of view. Um, let's see how many, what is the division here? How many female? 30 now? Because that's fairly even. Right. Um, and see, what's interesting is that, like, let's say that this is just a prototype and that, that they're going to, they're testing this just to get a feel on, is this an effective survey, but then blasting it out to 10,000 people. Then we could start to say, all right, let's see how females between the age of, let, let's say, 50 and 70 feel. And then we can specifically pull that specific demographic to then drive some type of a recommendation. For example, yeah. what's coming to mind for me is marketing. <clears throat> so we have our hardware score and we have our usability score. So what this is saying is that, all right, females over the age of 50 like the hardware. So we could say, hey, does your widget not quite feel comfortable in your hands? Well, our product has a solution. So that's that's a strategic decision that you could drive from this specific type of case study. Yeah, it's, it's, it's aligning with some sort of action. Right. Just- which is, you know, where, where we, where, I mean, where we want it to be. You can actually use it in, in a, and I also like, you know, it's maybe it's, a, it's easy to notice the four, four bars on top, but just the overall, would you recommend this product? Yes or no. It's also quite interesting as you get into it because that gives you kind of the open. So I don't know how they actually, <clears throat> so did you, did you get, did they get, I guess they get the four, uh, the four questions on top. And then the last question is, would you recommend this product? Or is that some sort of. Uh, so here's the raw data. Is that okay? So it is, a, it is a yes or no. It's not based on some sort of score, on like based on right. And so, so to give you context of like where this this data source is actually coming from. So years yeah. ago, I had a client on um, Upwork that did med- sold medical devices, and they did a survey, but it was way more. It was like thirty five questions. So mm-hmm. I kind of saw how they approached it, and then mm-hmm. did some very similar questions. So. Okay within, you know, what would you rate this product overall? It's a one to five scale. So we, we've got three, three, five, same with usability, hardware, software, and then there's a binary. Yes, no, is it a good or bad product? Okay, I see. So that, this is interesting because then we can start to talk about survey design. And I don't know if that's something that you've, as an analyst, have, have talked too much about. I wouldn't say not. I mean, we did quite a bit of marketing stuff at, not the company I was at before, but before there. Um, so that is actually why I was a little bit curious if that was a binary or if it was 
you know, you, you get a certain average of the, the five different questions, which means it becomes a yes or a no. But I, I can tell that. Uh, I can tell that. Uh, so, so what's interesting is that I wish, so uh, Deepak, who created this, is in India, and it's like, I think, 11.30 p.m. So he, he, he can't make the live stream. But um, he, I know that he watched a specific, <clears throat> we can um, actually pull up, oh, you're seeing. So we, we can pull up the post that, that he I sent you. Yeah. Um, where is it? Here we go. Right. So he, he said that he got it from. Okay. So he watched, I don't know if you guys have heard of Andy Creeble, but what he essentially did was he took the bones of my case study, built out the actual interactive Likert scale, then added some polish from a video that he found on Andy Creeble, which who he's like a huge Tableau guru guy. Um, to, to make it okay. So I think that what net promoter scores it's and yes, right. So I'm not super familiar with what a net promoter score is. You actually um, use it a lot in, I know you, you use it a lot to, to give kind of an idea of how you, how happy you are at your company, but I guess you can use it with products also. Right. So let's see, where's, where's the link? Oh, and all these pop-ups. <laughs> I don't know if people are trying to sell you stuff all the time. So I think that 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 is the net promoter score. So I think it's saying 35 and then you can compare overall. So um, Johanna is saying that she, she would like to see the bars aligned, which that, okay, so that's an interesting nuanced point. I think that's just a stylistic decision because I, I, I w I'm with you, Johanna. I, I like it kind of being square. But essentially what we're doing when we have it square and in line is that we're leaving off an opportunity to incorporate a different form of visualization. So, sh so showing it. So what this is, I think, is that center axis. And then the net promoter score is how far the bars are off of this axis. Okay. I, yeah, I thought, I thought it was trying to, I mean, it's trying to show composition. And I, I was thinking that if you... Align it, then it would maybe show it as a bar chart. You know, the the bigger the bar, the higher the value. But mm -hmm. I actually didn't think about it as if it's actually the distance from the middle thing. Maybe that's the median. Then I'm not sure. Right, but it's a shame that we he couldn't he couldn't be on here to explain his work. Um, right. But I mean, at the same time, it should explain itself. So I mean, but we we've this this already. Deepak, if you're, you're going to watch the replay of this, <laughs> it looks fantastic. I mean, I, I think it looks looks great. Also, what I kind of wanted to point out too is that look how many how much engagement he's he's got on this. Twenty one comments, seven likes. So probably over a thousand people have seen this. And by the way, he did just land a Tableau job. There you go. So so I mean, this is the personal branding piece. I feel like I'm trying to hammer this home to everybody. It's not only important for you to like build skills and do cool work. But people need to see that you're doing it. Yeah. You put All right. So I feel like we've been uh, neglecting. Oh, we got Matt Bratton. So we got another analytics hire manager in the chat. Oh, there we go. Okay. So let's see. So, Stony, I love. Look at look how many questions, how many comments Stony's leaving for us. So if someone sees this for the first time and does not have any assistance interpreting it, they will most likely fail to understand the results without a lot of effort. 
so I, that, and, and I don't know. Um, what's funny is we did not plan this conversation, but I think that this is a good point of, well, and what we're going to get into your portfolio that should speak for itself. I'm going to put you on mute and just analyze it. <laughs> um, I think that's something you should bear in mind when you're creating your portfolios is if someone just sees it, are they going to be able to immediately get actionable recommendations from it? Definitely. I mean, I think you have to, you have to have a certain amount of level of compassion for your viewer. Um, you know, not don't make it, it, it's cool to be able to do a lot of cool things. And in, in Tableau, you can do a lot of amazing things, but is the person who's watching this who might not a know it or be, you know, this, data-driven person that you are, are they going to understand it? That is, that is, I, I think it's a great point. And the fact that you and I have to kind of go a little bit back and forth and be like, is it this? Is it this? Is it that? Right. It shows that it needs, you know, a couple of tweaks here and there, but we understand the overall message of it, which is the most important. Right. And I think also too, people should take an iterative approach to this. So like post it kind of as the kernel then get people's feedback from it. And I think LinkedIn is a great resource for this because number one, if people are commenting saying, Hey, do this, Hey, do that, that's going to show up on their connections feed. And then maybe one of their connections is going to comment on it as well. And then you guys can start to build because I mean, kind of what we're doing subversively is trying to build this community that we're all helping each other. And then it's going to help us, you know, kind of what is, what is the saying? Rising tide lifts all, all ships. Like we're, we're all going to be moving in the right direction together. Um, but okay, so do you think we should go into your website or should we do this mock interview thing that we kind of came up with off the cuff? I mean, I think that, I mean, we can definitely take a look at my website because then we are, uh, I'm threading the, you know, the safe waters, but maybe <laughs> with the interview case. Which what's cracking me up is that you're monetizing your website, your, your portfolio. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm going on the interviews to get all the ad revenue. Uh, so we we can go through one of the projects. And then okay, let's do that. So, Which one? I mean, no, we can we can stay on this one. And okay, so <clears throat> um, so this is you know it's a sales. So I the reason I chose sales, I can just say it's because it's easy to understand sales. Most people understand sales, right? So if you are to showcase your skill set, I like to do it within a, I like to choose some data that is easy to understand because I don't want you to have to sit there and explain to someone, this is what the data is. This is conceptually easy. You know, we buy and sell things. Great. The person doesn't have to focus on which data are you using. They can focus on what have you actually done. That's a really good point. What we just explained with the survey data is kind of complex. Yeah. You need some context and we're saying it ourselves. We're saying we wish he was here. Right. But when we are looking at this, if I told you, hey, I had, I ha and, and this is, you actually were speaking, uh, talking about, you guys were doing some projects on some fire analysis stuff. I think uh, before you, some. Wait for. Uh, yeah, you were talking about initiative where you guys were talking about some fire. Oh, area. what's funny is I was thinking fire is in like financial independence, retire early. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. You got us confused with someone else. Yeah, no, no, like the um, um, civic data, the civic hackathon stuff. Oh, okay. Right. I, I, I had a project once with uh, the fire department in Oslo, so I was like, oh, you guys are doing the same thing. But my point was that, so that's also, you know, it's conceptual. It's easy data. Recently, I did a portfolio on the Olympic Games. It is easy data to understand. I don't need to tell you what is the Olympic Games. People compete. They get medals. Who does the right. best? People sell stuff. They buy stuff. What's your What's your profits? You know. 
it's it's easy. So mm-hmm. that is why I've chosen that for this part. And that is something that I think you, you should think about. You're making a portfolio. You want the purpose of your portfolio to be purely showcase your skill set. And whatever other noise, technical noise, business context noise should be as low level as possible so that you can focus on understanding you and your skill set and what you can do for them. Not be like, oh, and this is also, you know, when we think about, you know, data science and people are looking for these advanced things to show I can do something really advanced, then you also have to be really good at showcasing that in a way so that someone can understand the advanced stuff you did. I would say most of the people who are trying to do the super advanced stuff are, they they don't have the communication chops that match that. No, and sometimes I see people, they send me their portfolio and they're like, hey, can you take a look at this portfolio? And it's just a webpage with a long SQL statement and and maybe some visualization at the end. And I'm like, this is, you know, and I can read through it, but how would someone that doesn't understand what you're doing here read through it? You need to give it some sort of red thread. You need to make sure that it's understandable for someone who doesn't exactly know exactly what you're trying to do. You know what this is making me realize? It's it's about outcomes, not inputs. Yeah. What, what is your what is it that you're trying to solve? And with sales mm-hmm. management, when I when I say sales management, we're we're trying to solve something related to sales for some dimensions. Mm-hmm. So, so that's at least why I chose that data set. And I think it's just something that's worth thinking about sometimes. Um, to yeah. With the end user. Well, that, that's such an interesting example that you brought up of like 30 lines of SQL code and then like one or two visualizations. It's like the input is 95% of the project and the output is 5%. So yeah. we, you need to flip that. And then like, you, and, and then maybe like, um, Deepak could have like put, did a little bit better job of explaining the context, but you know right. what, that, that's a really interesting point though. Uh, keep these projects simple. So they're self-explanatory. Yeah. And also, you know, if, if, if he had sent me that one of the first thing I think of as a hiring managers, I'm thinking about, okay, how did you get there? This looks nice. It's a nice, it's a nice tableau dashboard. It looks nice. That's nice colors. You can filter it. does what it's supposed to. It's snappy. Great. But how did you get there? How did you find out that this is how you're going to make it? How did you find out that, you know, you were going to select, let's say, let's say it was 20, 10 questions. How did you, why did you select those five questions? Right. Why did you select those filters? What is the context of this? What is, is it that you're trying to solve? That is what I'm thinking about. Because I want to know that if I send you, um, this guy came to me, he said, hey, we have this report. We want to make this. And I want to know that if I send you there, you're going to come back understanding the problem. You're going to understand the context. And I know that you can handle the entire the entire thing not just the sql part and the visualization part and the level of detail calculations in tableau right because yeah getting back to that 95 percent sql code what is the recommendation what is <laughs> what is the like and 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 see i kind of did that for deepak where i was like all right so so females between the age of 50 and 70 like the hardware this can go front and center. So maybe that could be a whole, like he could put together a, a, a tableau storyboard and then have yeah. that as its own slide. Like a, like a, like a, just duplicate the dashboard. I guess that would, that would, um, no, name. Yeah, you, have, you have story mode in dashboard. He could have a couple of slides that talks a little bit and the last slide could be the actual dashboard. Yeah. But I'm saying like have him having one slide of that storyboard filter down on that, mm-hmm. but see, 
wouldn't wouldn't it share the same data sources? So you just have to like that'd be a little bit messy from it. I'm getting overly technical. So so yeah, it, I think that having well and see that's the difference because if you're going to be designing it so that you can use it in real time versus someone else is going to see it, and I, I think probably the right frame is that if you are posting your dashboard online, you need to have it so it's self-explanatory. Yeah. All right. We're, we've, we've gone a rabbit hole again, which yeah, uh, you know, our audience loves. Okay, so, so getting back first, to sales. Yeah, if we ignore the sleeping bag advertisement, <laughs> um, the first part is just, um, the first thing I want, I want them, I just want them to see what is it that we're going to try and present. It's just some kind of teasers. It's a couple of bits and pieces. If we scroll down, um, the first thing I try to do, agile development, I try to share some user stories. And that is just to... It's, it's really two things. One thing that I'm trying to show is that I am someone who is thinking about what is the demand, what it is that we're trying to do. And in agile development, you use user stories to kind of come back and check off as you go. So this is kind of my compass in the project. This is what I want the person who's looking at this to be, be aware of. This These were the goals that he was trying to solve. So when I look at data, when I'm thinking about which data do I need, when I think about how do I create the Power BI dashboard, these are the things that are going to determine if I'm doing the right things. So you can see we have, um, I have sale manager, get an overview of internet sales. Um, and then I have, you know, uh, what is the value and what would determine if you accept that or not. You know, we have a, the one below detailed overview of internet sales per customers. Um, so that you can follow up on customers that buys the most and sells the most. Who can we sell more to? Dashboard, which allows me to filter for each customer. Then, you know, I have something on products and it's a little bit over time. So already there, you know, I'm using user stories to kind of figure out, you know, what are my dimension? What are my calculations? What do I want to try and uh, end up with to have that mm -hmm. direction in my project? And also, if someone were to read this, they understand this is the purpose of this project. Then we go into the stuff that I know a lot of people are very interested in. And that is now we get a little bit more technical. So you can see here to create the necessary data model for doing analysis and fulfilling the business needs defined in the user stories, the following tables were selected or extracted using SQL. So you can see we have a dimension table because I want something over time. I have the code. I've added some comments to explain the logic as we go. Then we have uh, customers and another dimension. And you can notice I'm using dim underscore just to showcase that I understand this is a dimension. Um, I'm mm -hmm. using comments because I want them also to think that, you know, if this person were to join us, he, he's not only thinking about showcasing his own skill set and himself. He understands that you need to have, it needs to be clean. It needs to have some comments. It needs to explain something for other people. And then it's really just, you know, different type of SQL statements. Um, another dimension products, which, you know, rolls back to the business case. And then if we keep going, I'm pretty sure there's a fact table. Uh, you know, table with a bunch of metrics. I've, 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 you can see that I've commented out all of the columns that I don't need um, because you don't need all the facts. You only need the ones that reflect your business so case. these are the ones you're keeping. These are the ones you're removing? Correct, correct. Okay. So I'm, I'm not really great at SQL. Um, I typically have people on my team who would do that, <laughs> that stuff for me. Yeah, no. So... And then, um, but no, this is this is very sophisticated. This is a lot. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. So this, you know, this is just taking you through that journey of how do you get to the end product. And that is 
what I'm trying to showcase here, the data model. Um, and, and, you know, what does the data model look like at the end? And this is also something that I think is a good point. You know, we always talk about this. So I come from a very heavy BI background. The data model should be, you know, structured in a way that if someone looks at it, they should be able to understand somewhat what is going on here. So you can see mm-hmm. you have some dimensions with specific names. You right. have some fact tables with metrics. You kind of understand by looking at it, what is it that this is going to build up under? And then I think the last point is that we get um, sales management dashboard. You get a picture of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can click it. Okay. Interesting. Then, so the, one of the downsides of Power BI is that they don't have as friendly of a user, um, like a public <laughs> server interface. No, this is it. It's just that um, you, you can publish the web and you do have um, like that. They call it, the, I think they call it gallery but you need to be a member on their forum, if I'm not mistaken. And to be a member on that forum, unless you publish it this way, I don't want to say the wrong thing now. Um, I'm pretty sure you need uh, a specific Power BI account. But you, do you can have do to pay, You have to pay for it though? I think for the forum online, that's a place where you use, um, you use your work account or professional account. But for this, what I did now to publish this, I've used Power BI Desktop. It's totally free to do it like this. Okay. So here you have the dashboard, and here you can click in, and you can kind of, uh, you know, select on the months on top if you want to. You can select a customer sitting on your left side. Uh, it all kind of jumps around as expected. And, you know, if you were to go back to the user stories, you could check those off against this. And, you know, Wait, I'm trying to keep... Where's the user story? No, if you were to go back to the user stories that we saw before. I, so... Oh, Okay. Then you could gotcha. kind of line with the things that I've done here. And it has it has three different pages. So the first one is a dashboard. And if you look at the bottom, it says one of three. So if you jump over, you have one that gives an overview. You have one that gives you the customer details. Uh, gotcha. And then you have, I can't, I guess the last one is product details. So that is kind this of, is, you know. Yeah, you, this is fantastic. This is really nice. So I, what, what's interesting is that um, I've been mainly just going to Tableau Public because that's it's, yeah. they've designed it. They're just it's I mean, but also too, I ran the Tableau user group in Greensboro for like two years, so I'm just familiar with that culture. Yeah. Um, but I think it's there's utility to you. I, so I'm going to be in Santa Barbara recording for LinkedIn on next um, week, which it's a shame because yesterday was the first day of class, and I'm, I'm instead of me teaching in person, I'm having my students take one Tableau course and one Power BI course in LinkedIn oh, Learning so that okay. they can show that they're not mm-hmm. tool specific, that they're not, you know, just they have one skill set that they're latched onto, that they're a little bit sure. versatile. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, this is fantastic. They, when they do that, you know, they're going to use Power BI Desktop. They're going to publish it to their workspace and they can share it on the web. Then you can share it like I've done here. But usually, if you want to access the open gallery, I think you can Google it. If you Google Microsoft Power BI Gallery, let's see what happens. Okay. Just for the sake of it. And let's see if it's fully open. The thing is, I don't really go in there that much. I just know that that's the equivalent. Power BI. I can never type when people are watching. <laughs> see. This one, right? Yeah, try it. Maybe. No, I think that's just going to take you to the main web page. Let me see if I can just pull it up if I have the link. 
Here we go. Right here. You found it? Yeah. Yeah. Galleries. Let's see. Yeah, so here you can see there's a bunch there's a ton of different things you can look at here. Okay. Um, so so you know you can see data storage galleries. And you can see on the right side, see the number of posts. Oh wow. So we should click on this one. Yeah, people are posting. Well, it's a shame. I feel like uh Microsoft's not done a great job of of that. I see Tableau's killing it. I, I see Tableau. Maybe it's the world that I'm in. It could be no. that. This is just my corner no. of the internet. No, no, I've been to Click events. I've been to Power BI events. I've been to Tableau events. They kill at marketing. And with honestly, marketing, Tableau is amazing. Yeah. But here you can see we have the data storage gallery, and there is a ton of new stuff coming in here every day. And then you can look at different dashboards. You can get some inspiration. And then, of course, if you want them to upload them, they can also do that here. Okay. This, this is some sort of COVID transportation statistics over time in the UK. Okay, this one looks really. Oh, that's nice. It's got like a running ticker on there. That's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. <coughs> and th yeah, this one looks pretty polished too. So we can we can full screen it here. No, the gallery is good. So I think to post on the form you need to, you need an account, but to browse and look around, it doesn't look like you need one. That's probably okay. Good. So this is. You have to have a Tableau public portfolio page. Like, um, I mean, I think we have, mine's not great right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, I have multiple though. I mean, this one's probably from like, I mean, look at that baby face right there. <laughs> also, my hair is so short. That's, that's from years ago. Um, but I mean, I guess that, that, that this is, um, Actually, probably a, a word of encouragement. Like, look at how bad these look. And I was getting consulting clients with these. I mean, I wouldn't say they're bad, but like, I mean, this one specifically actually got me a client, like saying, hey, I can take your survey data and, and show like the different um, review. Like we can say, all right, let's let's see a breakdown of, I mean, this is pretty like not polished. No, you got some products, and when you click on them, it shows some details, I guess. Right. So what, what this is saying is that, all right, here's the item number. Here is the actual item. And I think yeah. I just, like, web scraped this data randomly and say, all right, here's the feedback for this. Oh, there's a lot of five-star reviews, and you can specifically see, you know, what they're saying. And if we, can, if we hover over this one, we can say, all right, the titles don't buy this product. This project came out of the box. So, yeah. I mean, and that's... I mean, I guess with me, I, 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 I'm much more function focused rather than form. But now I think that it's just a lot more competitive. You need to make it look good or else it's going to kind of um, hurt your brand a little bit. Okay. So are you ready for your interview now? Yeah, let's do this. Well, actually, let's see. We've, we've, been, we've been neglecting chat. This yeah, is fun. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like this is just like our fun internet adventures where we just like go down rabbit holes. I mean, <laughs> jump into and see where it takes you. All right. Um, let's see. Okay, so the, it looks like the chat's talking about um, Power BI quite a bit. Oh, uh, Natika brings up an interesting point. Um, have you done any freelancing? I've been offered, but I've actually turned it down. 
Oh, that's been some um, because I I was in consulting before and it's just conflicting stuff. You can't take freelance stuff as a consultant. Um, but I, I, you know, I've even thought about it. You know, it's kind of those, you know, 2021 remote working, freelance, move around. So I have thought about it. It would be very, um, very interesting. Well, okay. So I, I'm going to use this as a conduit to talk about the gig economy. Um, the gig economy gets a really bad rap because it's like you think of like Uber drivers or DoorDash. Or, I'm talking about all American things. I don't know if you know any of you probably heard of Uber. Um, yes. It's where it's like. The gig economy for unskilled labor is terrible. They treat you really, really bad. But if you are, if you have a high, like a, a skill set, like analytics, and you're talented, I mean, it's there are people who are earning multiple hundreds of dollars per hour per project. Definitely. And and I mean, and I, we ha- we actually had a former data scientist who worked at LinkedIn. And he was talking about how once you get to that higher tier of like you've done you've been in the industry for years and you've had some significant wins it's re- it's a really thin hurt there's just not that many people so yeah I, I guess that's just uh kind of talking about where freelancing can go because i think getting entry-level freelancing projects is uh i don't know if that's even like feasible it's it's i usually just totally straight up i say that you know, if you haven't even, you know, if you don't have the experience to be able to get a remote gig, a customer to pay you to not be on site, not get to know you, trust you fully over the internet that you can deliver on this, it's, it's a it's a big ask. You need to have, you need to come in with some sort of, like you said, baggage. Um, and unless you find, I guess, you know, you have, but you do have companies actually right now that are um, only remotely based who might, who might, uh, you know, look for those people type of people but you're competing with you're you're competing with a lot of big fish out there then so it's definitely it's definitely uh, difficult oh Let's join back in. Hey, sorry, folks. Um, the internet only goes down during live streams. I don't know why that is. Um, let me see if let me add him back in. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Are you back in business? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on my phone, so my Wi-Fi. I the Wi-Fi only goes down during live streams. I it never goes down other time. I don't know if it's. Uh, <sighs> We, we can see Matt say, this is a common occurrence. I don't know. I literally am working at home because the internet's better 
than where it was at the office. Um, it's like it's like the demo ghost, you know. Whenever you're gonna show something, that's where something goes wrong. Right. So I don't know. I don't have access to that um, Excel spreadsheet that I was gonna quiz you on. But okay. what I do to kick off every semester is I just um, the first class. I'm like, here's a huge data set, students. I want you to analyze it. Tell me something useful or interesting. And I wanted to kind of see you as like a, an expert, kind of a matured analyst, how you would approach it in kind of a, like a mock interview setting. Yeah. I think that, um, kind of, because that, that plugs kind of into the, the same, the, the same like angle of that technical, like the, you can use your analytics portfolio to show your hard skills, but then, but that's like safe because you know that data set, you know that, but if they just throw some data at you, how are, you, yeah. how are you gonna respond? <laughs> I, guess I think you gotta ask some questions. Right. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I'm getting grilled in my chat right now. But really, I feel <laughs> I feel bad. For that. I was like, I was checking my stuff. I was like, there's something happened here. But I, yeah, no, I feel bad for you. Let's <laughs> see if uh, the internet is back up and running. No. It's still down. Well, it says it's blue on the router. I'm like literally in my like room with the router, but um, we can kind of uh, push forward. Let's see. Here we go. So Natika is asking about um, collaborative projects. Do you know? Do you, have you done any, or do you know anybody who's doing them, or what? What are your thoughts on them? I say, I say, portfolio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've actually no, I've never, I've never done that. I've never. Uh, um, I've never uh, tried that. What what could be interesting though? It's funny because they ask stuff, and you you get you're like, oh, well, yeah, you can do it like that. What one thing that could be interesting is um, you know someone. <clears throat> so let's say you're a data analyst, and let's say you know someone who really wants to be a data engineer, and someone who really wants to be a data scientist. If you know them, and you guys handle each part of the process, and then you get three pieces that are all really good, and then you guys spend some time together. You guys teach each other the different parts doesn't mean that you're going to be a data scientist doesn't mean you're going to be a data engineer but you're going to have one hell of a project of, and right. and you're going to learn a lot of things through having those discussions that people might ask you in an interview context so that's if, if you have those people around you you should definitely piggyback, piggyback up each other and, and use that and Natika, also the, what this showcases your ability to function within a team absolutely so I think, yeah, I think that that's a really smart idea. And what we're actually going to be doing is partnering with uh, nonprofits. And we're going to start. So I think the Code for Greensboro is kind of the first kind of like head in that space. Um, but we are having a, the executive director of this this company called the Cape Fear Collective. And they okay. do ecological and um, like humanitarian um, like analysis for North Carolina. Okay. So we're, we're going to have a contest where whoever can analyze the data the best or have the best dashboard, that project will go on their website. So I think that that is a really cool and it's also legitimate because it's. Yeah. And I think that's a really great angle because I, I, do you have much experience with uh, the nonprofit space? Yeah, actually, I, I used to um, volunteer quite a bit at the place and we used to have a Tableau meetup group. In, uh, in Oslo. I haven't been to it for a while because I'm not very focused on Power BI. 
Um, but there, they used to be volunteers for the Red Cross in Norway. I will talk about how they used Tableau there. And yeah, it, honestly, like, so, you know, I live in Norway. I'm used to data warehouses. I mean, it's it's kind of the de, de facto standard. But they had, you know, they, they went to Africa and they had a very simple data collection process. But it was automated and they got it into Tableau. And the results were just, it was just mind-blowing. Like wow. they they improved uh, some of the processes and how I think it was where are they going to drill to place water in good places, and where did they find a lot of mines left off after the war, and just getting that into a data set and visualizing it, and it was very so it's very interesting. It's definitely I think like how can I say this an, an untapped um, job opportunity market because they definitely need it also. And you know, hey, if you're looking for that first data analysis case, if you're looking for that first project, hey, maybe you want to reach out to some of those people. Say, I have some of these skill sets. I would love to, you know, volunteer in that sense or contribute in that sense. And then you might actually get a real business case, some real data, and some people who are probably more than happy to reference you at some time if you want to apply for something else. So that's a really cool case. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, like my experience in the nonprofit sector is that most of those people, and I, I'm, tr I'm trying, I'm trying to be nice here. They are mission driven. They're not yeah. so much quantitatively driven. Data driven. Yeah, they're not data driven. So yes. you're right. It is a completely untapped market. You can come in and put in just a little bit of effort, and it can completely change their organization. And and then you feel good. You're doing good work. You're also building your skill set, building a reference, a relationship, because who knows, maybe that person knows somebody who's hiring. Like there's just so much good that comes out of doing philanthropic work. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. just on top of it, it's, 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 it's good. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. And, and just asking yourself when you're, you know, if you get the opportunity to talk about what you can do at a company, it's, you know, it's easy to think that, to be able to do a good job there, I need to make an amazing Tableau dashboard. But if that company is used to using Excel, just getting up a couple of bar charts, some line charts, a pie chart with, with a filtering might not make them revolutionary in terms of Tableau. But you need to stop. You don't need to think that it needs to be perfect. You need to think about how much incremental business value can I provide? Because... Um, 25% easier perceived data is 25 easier perceived data and 0% easier perceived data. So if you also think about that, you don't need to create the perfect project. If you can start to think about processes, how can I make it a little bit better? 10%, 15%. If I told you, if I went to a sales manager and told him, hey, I have, I've seen this process. I know how I can get you guys this data um, instead of once a day, four times a day. It's not, it's not every hour, it's every half right. an hour, but it's a whole lot better. That's true. And, and just, just think about that also. You don't need to think to be this, you know, amazing data savant because all, for a lot of companies, just coming in and just, and just automating a small piece, small piece of the puzzle could drive a lot of business value. You don't need to create the most amazing things. If you understand the business well, the processes well, then you can find those incremental gains and any business manager will take 5% better turnover or 10% or 5% less manual work or 10%. So, so that's also something you can think about if you're, if you're reaching out to people and you're saying, hey, I've been doing this for six months. I've been learning these skills. 
looking for, let's say, a nonprofit or a company or where you can volunteer and try and get some time, you know, if you guys have a process which I can try to optimize, maybe I can make it a little bit more efficient. And you have real data, you have a real use case, and you have someone who is willing to vouch for you, vouch for you at a later time. You don't need to create the most amazing things from the first day. It's, right. it's, also, it's also, you know, these incremental gains are also very important for a lot of companies. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I launched my consulting agency is I took, I essentially took an internship designed for someone who's like a freshman or sophomore in undergrad. <coughs> it, they were like, the internship was like, here, build out um, Excel charts and graphs. And I showed up to that interview and I said, hey, I can automate this entire process over the next yeah. three months. And I still am paid on monthly retainer by that same client. And it's it's been about five years. Since yeah. I I mean, you didn't, you didn't change the entire direction of the entire company, but you yeah. made, you found a process and you improved that. And that right. carries so much value as an enabler versus a technical skilled person. Well, I mean, it's scaled up 17 times. And see, that's something I don't think that's hot is leverage and scale. I think it comes with time. I think it's, it's, it's a mindset you kind of have to get get used to and i think it comes a little bit back to what you pointed out earlier when you're going from the junior roles towards the senior you're starting to question things you're starting to push back more because you understand that what they are asking for is going to take x amount of time or x amount of effort but if we if we take it back a little bit they'll get 80 percent but 80 percent is a whole lot better than zero percent right and it's just that developing that mindset that perfect isn't always the solution um, which can also be very valuable in the beginning if you can find, you know, the right cases, the right people um, to, to get involved in. You don't need that perfect entry-level job either. Mm-hmm. Well, what it gets to is um, systems thinking versus ad hoc thinking. Yeah. Um, ad, hoc, ad hoc, that's what I was kind of getting at earlier. Uh, if you <clears throat> design a whole system and then there's a flaw in the system, that gets scaled out. Like for this internship, we, I scaled it up 17 times. They were, they were doing one line review for their product in Excel and per internship. And now it's like, well, I can design the system and it'll go out to all 17 different lines. Yeah. That is, you know, right. I said this process changer without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about processes. Um, cool. Well, I think that we should wrap up. I would, I wanted to put you on the spot. You got to come back on so that we can, uh, so we can, we can do uh, like a mock interview. This was fun though. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to talk to a fellow professional and get some questions thrown at you from the audience and unfortunately not be able to test it on, uh, <laughs> on, a, on a good case because it looked really interesting actually. Well, speaking of uh, systems, I've figured out that I need to have my phone on standby. <laughs> because yeah, okay. my Wi-Fi keeps cutting out. This is like the third time. <coughs> I might have to start recording somewhere else. But thank you so much. Where, where can people find you? What's the best place? Um, yeah, YouTube channel, Analyze with Ollie. Um, I actually do have, um, you know, my LinkedIn. People message me there. I do have a Discord. Um, you can find the link on uh, YouTube um, where I sometimes jump on and as I'm working on videos, as I'm working on preparing for videos, I sometimes jump on there and answer the questions. It makes it, you know, it's just fun, casual thing. Um, and that's, you know, that is where you can find me in terms of online. You know, if, hey, John, if you're in Oslo, 
you know, I, I live in Oslo, so you can find me in Oslo too. Um, and you know, awesome. I always, I always like to meet up with people and our professionals. And I've actually had a couple of subscribers um, reach out to me and uh, had the opportunity to meet some. So that's also really nice. Yeah. So we, we've started doing um, like a, almost a weekly like dinner slash drinks in Greensboro. So I have oh, a bunch wow. of podcast fans around here, like even in some of my neighborhood, which is wild. <laughs> but all right, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. And also, Thanks for all of you guys who tuned in to the live stream. Uh, we really appreciate your, your questions. It makes the conversation so much more lively. And I'll see you guys later. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.